2: Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss the benefits of exotic oils for your skin, hair, and nails with wellness expert, Andrea Donsky. We'll talk about rehab after serious illness and injury with fitness expert, Dr. Stacy Irvine, DC. We'll learn how to become friends with your penis with registered sex therapist, Michelle Fischler. And lastly, we'll find out what it's like caring for someone with type 2 diabetes and a heart condition with caregiver, Nancy Wadden. Before we get to that, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's been going on with me. What I'm about to tell you is going to include a detailed and graphic explanation of my medical condition. If you're sensitive to those issues or you feel you might be triggered, I suggest you tune out for a few minutes and then maybe tune back in because we'd love to have you back at the show. Here we go. Regular listeners know that when I was 38 years old, I lost 52 pounds and turned my life around. What you likely don't know is that one of the key motivating factors was my family's medical history, including heart disease on both sides and type 2 diabetes, ileitis and colitis, and colon cancer on my father's side. I wanted to fix myself so that I'd be in the best possible position to survive what I consider to be a very likely serious health issue that I'd have to face at some point in my life. Unfortunately, that issue actually did come. For some months now, I've felt generally weaker, exhausted rather than exhilarated after a workout, unexplained constipation and morning fatigue, even after a good night's sleep. I wasn't sure if there was a problem or if my symptoms were just simply attributable to aging. So I booked a long overdue physical with my physician. The results all came back positive. The only substantive issue remained, which was a booking of a colonoscopy, which was some years overdue due to COVID and my general distaste for the procedure. Unfortunately, on the Sunday of Family Day weekend, a crisis actually did occur, 10 days before my scheduled colonoscopy. I was eating breakfast with my family, and I I got up from the table and doubled over with incredible pain and an overwhelming urge to pee. The symptoms suggested a kidney stone. And the pain was so strong, we actually called an ambulance. The paramedics came and they agreed that it was a textbook case of a kidney stone. So I decided actually not to go to emergency because it was a holiday weekend and I was going to try and ride it out at home. Sometime after the paramedics left, I was actually able to pee, but then all hell broke loose and the pain got worse and I began to vomit violently. At this point, I was shaking and barely able to move. Paramedics were called back to the house, and my neighbor across the street actually happens to be an emergency room doctor, came into the house just to see what was going on and make sure everything was okay. He advised that this was not a kidney stone, and I was rushed to emergency. I spent some time in emergency, and then eventually they saw me, and they did a CT scan, which disclosed that, in fact, I had a perforated bowel and had gone completely septic. Surgery was necessary, or I would certainly die. It was actually a matter of hours. I was absolutely terrified as my father also had a perforated bowel amongst his other medical conditions. And that's when the doctors found the colon cancer that actually caused his death. The surgery was a complete success. And I was told by my surgeon that although a sample was taken for a biopsy, it did not appear to be cancer. I was in the hospital for two weeks, which if you know anything about how they want to get you out of hospitals, you'll know that's an incredible quantity of time. The first week, I was almost completely incapacitated. And the second, I was battling high fevers and required follow-up procedures. After that, I continued to recuperate at home. The excellent news is that the rupture was not caused by cancer, but by a condition called diverticulosis. Ironically, Uh, It's a condition that absolutely would have been found out in the scheduled colonoscopy. The fantastic news is that my prognosis is full recovery, and I have no underlying health issues. Every day, I feel better and better. I would not be here, but for the excellent care I received from the surgical and post-surgical team at North York General Hospital. I cannot thank them enough, but I also believe that I would not have survived the ordeal had I not exercised and ate well over the past 18 years. I do wish that I had been more proactive about scheduling my colonoscopy, and if there are any takeaway points from this little story, it's that you please live well and take ownership of your health, because if you don't, nobody else will. I'll be joined by Andrea Donsky in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit newrootsherbal.com. Andrea Donsky is a registered holistic nutritionist with uh, 20 years experience in natural health and wellness. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of NaturallySavvy.com and a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you?
0: I'm good, Jamie. How are you doing?
2: Better. Good. So we're going to talk about exotic oils today. Yes. Uh, As a woman's health expert focusing on perimenopause and menopause, can you talk a little bit about the skin and what happens to our skin as we age?
0: Yes, absolutely. So our skin is the largest organ in our body. And by the time that we reach 20, our skin stops producing as much sebum that it did before when we were younger. So sebum is a waxy oil substance that makes our skin more pliable, waterproof, and permeable when it wants to be. So you want to think of it as a protective layer for our skin. And as we age, and our sebaceous glands produce less sebum, our skin is more prone to dryness, cracking, infection, and even skin issues like rosacea. Also, talking about women's health and perimenopause and menopause, as our estrogen levels decline, our skin, including the mucous membranes in our nose, our ears, and our vaginal walls, become thinner and drier, So, which can also lead to dry, flaky, and itchy skin. So estrogen is what keeps our skin moist and plump.
2: So uh, I guess that explains why there's a multi-billion dollar industry for cosmetics, yeah?
0: Yep, for sure. So the anti-aging industry is huge. But I don't love the term anti-aging only because, you know, there's a lot of talk you hear on social media about the whole term anti-aging. And it's because we'll all age if we're blessed to live long enough, right? It's natural. It's a part of life. We want to age. The thing is we want to age well. So there are things that we can do to ensure that our skin looks great as we get older. So I like to think of aging. So it's kind of reframing our thinking and think of aging as biological versus chronological aging. So we want to look our biological age, meaning how we live, how we eat, how we exercise, what our mindset is, rather than our chronological age, because age is just a number, really.
2: That makes sense. Mindset sort of playing the role when it comes to aging, yeah?
0: I mean our bodies react differently depending on like how old we are right but it also on how we treat it which is why I spent the last 23 years advocating for really helping people make healthier choices as much as possible I kind of look at that 80 20 rule
2: yeah I mean you know we're both sort of advocating for the same yeah you mentioned dry skin earlier what about people who develop oily skin
0: yeah, so that can happen as well. And, you know, we do a lot of research. So you mentioned Naturally Savvy in the beginning, but I also have a company called Morphus, which is wearemorphus.com, Morph, like metamorphosis, us as a community. And we are finding is that approximately 17% of women in perimenopause and menopause, as we get older, develop acne. So there are a couple of reasons for it. So first of all, hormone fluctuations can cause it, meaning when estrogen levels fall, you can have more androgens like testosterone than you did before. So the ratio changes. And testosterone is one of the main contributors to acne, stress. Mm-hmm. That big, you know, that big word that we hear all the time can also trigger breakouts in oily skin. And in addition to affecting hormone levels in general, stress increases cortisol levels in the body, which can also cause breakouts.
2: But so the other end of the spectrum, what can women do if they have dry skin?
0: OK, so this, I love talking about this because this is really me <laughs> and a lot of the other women I know that that kind of have this in this phase of life. But one of the most important things that we can do is make sure that we're well hydrated. Right. So we want to aim to drink half our weight in ounces every single day. Having a daily skin routine is important. So like in the morning and evening, make sure you're washing your face, make sure you're removing your makeup at the end of the day. I love to apply, you know, hyaluronic acid when I get out of the shower after I wash my face when it's still a little bit wet so it gets absorbed properly. I start with my water based serums and then I use an oil. So I'm big on exotic oils, which is what we're talking about today. And then I add a moisturizer. And so sometimes I'll put the oil inside the moisturizer and sometimes I'll just put the oil on by itself. So I would say those are, that's like a good routine to follow in order to keep your, your, your skin, especially if you have the dry skin, to keep it moist and to keep it looking amazing.
2: I find it interesting that you apply the oils directly to your skin. I, I would have thought that oils would clog your pores.
0: They actually don't, it's a myth. And especially for older women, so or older skin. So our bodies naturally produce oils. So when you apply a chemical-free oil, for example, like an argan oil, let's say, or a marula oil or a cranberry seed oil, these won't clog your pores. And in fact, they'll nourish and moisturize your skin, and you'll end up having healthier skin.
2: I can understand how oils help to moisturize the skin, but how do they actually make your skin healthier?
0: So I'm talking about the oils that are high in beneficial compounds, right? So like rosa mosqueta, seed buckthorn, tamanu, moringa, pomegranate seed, these all contain antioxidants that are beneficial for your skin.
2: Okay. Can you share some of the benefits, you know, of them individually and and how they benefit the skin sort of on a one by one basis?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I'll talk about a couple of them if that's okay. Like I'll just go through a, a few different ones. Okay. Sure. So one in particular is called Baobab oil and Baobab is known for its ability to soften and regenerate the skin as well as improve the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles as well as age spots. There's goji seed oil. It's made from goji berries, and we know goji berries is a superfood. It's considered to be a superfood. And goji berry oil contains high levels of antioxidants and essential fatty acids, which help to reduce the signs of aging. There's tamanu oil, which has been shown to promote the production of collagen, which plays an important role you know, when it comes to our skin regeneration. And it's also been shown to help prevent wrinkles caused by sun exposure. Marula oil is high in the moisture content, and it has a very light texture. It cools and protects the skin as well from ultraviolet rays. And then another one that I really like is called seed buckthorn seed oil. And this is unique because it contains all four omega fatty acids. So it has omega-3, 6, 7, and 9. And studies show that seed buckthorn oil can actually reduce inflammation associated with ultraviolet light exposure, and it can also improve skin elasticity when you apply it to the skin. So like you can see like there's so many different oil options that you can choose from. I personally love to rotate them. So I use different ones all the time, like what we're talking about. And then you can also use them in combination if you wanted.
2: So it struck me when you were sort of listing all of this, that these oils seem to contain a lot of the ingredients that the supplements we take internally for better health. So is there overlap? Like, like, how do you reconcile?
0: So that's a good observation. So that's why they work so well. So cosmetic companies put these oils in their products because they're effective.
2: Makes sense. Can you use these oils on other parts of the body and, and not just the face?
0: Oh my gosh, totally. So you can use them on your arms, your legs, your hands, your torso, your back, your scalp. So what you can do is you can put even a few drops in your ears. Like a lot of women will say they have itchy ears. So you can put a few drops in your ears and you can use them in your hair. So argan oil, I'm guessing you've probably heard of it because it's pretty popular. And when it comes to hair health, it's great for healthy looking hair and skin.
2: Yeah. Naomi uses argan oil and I see a lot of healthcare products talking about it. So shut
0: yeah, so a lot of hair products have it. So the thing about argan oil and why it's so popular is that it contains vitamin E, which is an antioxidant, and applying the oil to your skin can help to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and also increase elasticity. So the cool thing about it is you can actually do a hack, which is amazing, and I love to do this myself. I would use it with argan oil, but also other oils as well, is you can put a couple of drops into your shampoo bottle and even into your conditioner bottle and you could use that because you can buy argan oil in the store like you can buy shampoos and conditioners with it but the issue when you're buying store-bought is they it may be more expensive but also it might contain other ingredients that you don't necessarily want to put in your shampoo and conditioner like pegs and artificial dyes and glycols so literally just open up the bottle add a couple of drops of the argan oil or whatever oil you want and then shake it up and then you know shake it every time you use it and that's kind of like an easy cost-effective way to use the oils for your hair
2: makes sense i mean When we're talking about hair, I'm sort of left out in the cold, but I get it. So (laughs) can you use these oils on your nails as well?
0: Absolutely. So I do. And you can also use them on your cuticles. So a good friend of mine, I love telling this story because a good friend of mine from South America once told me that her number one beauty secret to having stunning hands is applying and she has stunning hands, she's a hand model, is applying exotic oils on her hands and nail beds and cuticles every night before bed. She swears by it. So I've been doing it, and it seems to be working. I'm in now like my early 50s, and it definitely seems to be working. So you could rub any of the oils. You can also consider cranberry seed oil because what's nice about cranberry seed oil, it has one of the highest levels of antioxidants compared to other fruit or vegetable oils. So it helps to reduce the signs of aging on your hands. So yes, absolutely, 100%, I would recommend doing that.
2: So sounds like there's a lot of practical applications for these oils. Are there any brands that you like in particular?
0: Right, so the brand that I love, and they have so many different options, is called New Roots Herbal, and they have a, you know, a whole line of exotic oils. And what I like about them is that they're 100% pure, and they have a large variety, like I mentioned. And they even have one that has, like, a combination of them. So they have something called Skin Lover's Oil. So if you don't want to buy individuals, but you want to buy it kind of as a, as a formula, it contains goji seed, rose hip, argan, seed buckthorn, cranberry, and tamanu. And all of their exotic oils are cool-pressed, and they don't use any harsh chemicals to extract the oils, which is very important. And you could find them at, you know, at wherever you shop for natural products across Canada.
2: I'm wondering whether these oils might make a good Mother's Day gift.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. First of all, yes. <laughs> they make a great Mother's Day gift, but also a good, I mean, spoil yourself. Like to me, you know definitely it should be i really believe they should be part of your daily routine again especially if you're in the you know perimenopause menopause phases like once you're in menopause you're always in menopause for the rest of your life so i definitely think for older skin this there it's an absolute must so it doesn't really have to be a gift and by the way it's great for men too not just women
2: yeah i was wondering about that i've been listening you know for the last few minutes and i'm wondering if we're all left in the cold and so so the applications are germane for men as well i gather, yeah
0: yeah, and Jamie, rub it on your—you know—you can rub it on your head, on your on your scalp, right? Like it just will help with that moisture, right? And, and just give you that moisture back. So yeah, I any mean, women, men, yes, everybody.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it's good for me, but like uh, I've got to avoid shiny head as a bald man, you know. So I'd have to, <laughs> i have—you know—nobody likes to see a reflection off the sun, whatever.
0: Or on your beard. too.
2: Any last tips?
0: Oh yeah, sure, sure. I would say that when. Trying plant oils, like any oil, of course, you want to test a small amount on your inner arm, and you just want to make sure you don't have so you don't have any reactions to it. And if all is good, you could use them pretty much anywhere on your body. And just take note: it is possible to have a reaction to some seed or nut oils if you're intolerant to certain to like those types of foods. So just be mindful. And when looking for a quality exotic oil, I would say make sure you read the ingredients because some of the cheaper brands will mostly contain water. So you just want to make sure that they are, they have like the oil and the good quality oil. And those are like those are the ingredients in the bottle that you're buying.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Thanks, Jamie. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy it.
2: For more discussions and articles about health and wellness, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss rehabbing after surgery, injury, or illness on the tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by The Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy Program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today.
1: Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson.
2: Dr. Stacey Irvine, D.C. is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem have been greatly influenced by Stacey's love, of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's also a frequent guest on the show. Welcome back, Stacy. How are you?
3: I'm great. Thank you. Most importantly, I'm wondering about you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I had a little bit of a health challenge and, you know, quite selfishly, we know the show is all about me. Uh, So I brought you on to talk about one of your expertise, which is dealing with fitness for people who are rehabbing, whether that's like from surgery, which is my case, injury or illness, which I suppose is also my case. So, why is fitness and exercise so important after surgery, injury, or illness?
3: Such an important topic. And thank you for bringing me here to discuss it. It's a big part of what we do. Before I jump into that, I want to say on behalf of myself, and I'm sure many of your listeners and colleagues, how happy we are that you're back and that you are on the road to recovery and that you're using this experience that you've had to help teach other people you know how they can manage similar situations because what you're talking about today is a very common issue that doesn't get talked about a lot. Many times people will go into surgery and we're lucky we have excellent surgeons in this country And sometimes with the surgery, what happens is, you know, it's a successful surgery and then you're sent home and you're not really sure what to do. And there are so many things that you can take care of, you know, on your own with the surgery and with the rehab. So tell me, what are some of the things that you're working on right now? after your surgery?
2: You know, I had tubes coming in and out of everywhere, you know, up my nose and down my throat. And what that does is it impacts your ability to take in oxygen. In fact, I was on oxygen for like a week. Mm -hmm. And so building up my lung strength is one. Another thing is my muscles atrophied. You'd think after, you know, two decades of exercise, you know, your muscles wouldn't dissipate after like, you know, a few weeks of, of being in bed, but that actually was not the case for me. Right. And then it's not so much that I'm in pain, but I'm in, I'm still in constant discomfort and I'm sort of navigating what it's like to live with sort of like my new health reality, which, you know, my prognosis is I'm total recovery, which is great, but I'm not there yet. And if you know anything about sort of gastro injuries, it's just, they take a very long time to resolve.
3: Yes. So what you're talking about, again, is it's common with lots of surgeries. Now, what we do with the work that I do is a lot of orthopedic types recovery. And, you know, so we're doing hip replacement, knee replacement. And it is in many ways, when we think about a surgery, when we look at how traumatic it can be, in many instances, kind of the more traumatic it is. So in your case, when you're going in in an emergency, it's not planned. We do have often a tougher recovery time. And what you want to be doing when you're recovering from surgery is, first of all, I think it's really important that we acknowledge how stressful surgery is on our body, how stressful it is for us emotionally, and in many times how stressful it is for our whole family unit. So we are missing sleep, Many times, you know, the nutrition leading up to an emergency surgery because you weren't feeling well is not great. So we have the surgery. Thank goodness everything is okay now. We are on our road to recovery. We don't want to jump into things pretending that the surgery didn't actually happen. We don't want to be jumping back into our regular activities. The first thing we do is we acknowledge that there is a road to recovery. I'm a huge fan of starting out with low walking walking does so many things for our body walking outside walking in nature that's going to help with all those hormones that we need for recovery it's also going to help with blood flow now what you talked about with your muscles is very interesting i don't want you to worry that your muscles actually you know shriveled up all those weeks that you were bedridden that did not happen But our muscles contain a huge amount of our body water, okay? And so what happens when we are sedentary is that we're not gaining as much of that water and the muscles are not holding as much of water. And so what we want to do is when we get the muscles active again, we want to make sure we're being very hydrated, we're getting a lot of water and blood flow through our body, and you will find that in combination with the neuromuscular stimulation, so that's the signals from the brain to the muscles, when we're moving, will get your weight and your muscular weight, most importantly, feeling back to normal in no time.
2: Yeah, you know, for me, like this is crazy. But in the two weeks, like from the surgery till I was released from the hospital, I actually lost 24 pounds, Wow, which is crazy. And then when I came home, just because of the circumstances of my surgery, because it was gastro, I found it really challenging to eat. So I lost another seven pounds before kind of like reaching the bottom or the top of weight loss. I guess it depends on your opinion. And since then, I've been able to put some of that weight back on, but it just, it felt like it was all coming from my muscles. Like, you know, my clothes it's a good thing for some people, like were literally falling off me <laughs> and it just my body, I'd look in the mirror and it just didn't seem like me. What did you see as some of the challenges of exercise after somebody has surgery or, or injury or illness?
3: What you're describing is one of the things that we do see very often is this kind of really discouraging feeling because You know you should be eating healthy and you want to be moving and you've lost, you know, there has been definitely a bit of atrophy, but also your energy levels generally will have plummeted. And it's because during a time of surgery, we are essentially on an adrenal overload. There is a lot of adrenaline happening and there is a lot of stress, a lot of cortisol and your body can only handle that for so long. And for many people, and in your case, if you are in pain leading up to your surgery or discomfort or body prior to the surgery, that also really takes a toll on your energy level and your ability to maintain your workouts and your ability to maintain your appetite. These are the most common things that we see surrounding surgery. On top of that, you have this fear about doing something bad after the surgery because you know you know you have these restrictions and oftentimes there's movement restrictions so sometimes you're thinking to yourself oh should I be doing this should I be doing something else and at the same time in your brain you're thinking I'm so tired I don't know you know if I can even manage to get myself through any type of exercise So we have a lot of variables impacting us. There's both mental and emotional variables. And then there's the physical changes. And there's physicality related to the incision and related to, you know, the work that's been done. And it's essentially been done inside your body. That's what surgery means. There is a level of trauma related to that that you want to acknowledge. You want to make sure you're hopefully getting good advice from your surgeon, if not your surgeon, a really well-trusted rehab professional that can help you navigate this because, as you said, there's always lots of questions. What should I be doing? How should I be doing this? And we don't want to go necessarily to Dr. Google and be sitting doing a deep and more stressed-out feeling. So we go to things that we know, rhythmical movement, submaximal movement, Things that are going to increase your blood flow. And when I say rhythmical movement, it could be doing laps in the inside of your house. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's going to have huge benefits. It's going to help with your appetite. It's going to encourage you to drink more water. And that is an awesome place to start. And then you build from that. And your day should be spent not trying to hurry back to work and hurry back to your regular routine. It should be spent on healing. So today, you know, I walked five laps. I'm going to go have a rest. I'm going to maybe ice the areas that, you know, I had involved with my surgery. Then I'm going to get back up. And this afternoon, I'm going to do five more laps. And I'm going to go and rest again. In the meantime, I'm going to try to eat as healthy and as clean as I possibly can because we know that that speeds up your recovery. So if you don't have an appetite, you look for things like smoothies and making sure, you know, maybe you need to take a multivitamin or there's great powders now where it's got all the nutrients that you can add to your smoothie. So you know you're getting everything that you need, and that is going to really enhance your ability to have a little bit more energy and feel like you're on your way to recovery.
2: Yeah, so for me, it's interesting. You know, the first week I was literally doing laps on my main floor and going up and down the stairs and i was trying to focus because i love food everybody who knows who listens to the show like i live for food and my relationship to food is completely different now where i was struggling just to make sure i was getting adequate protein because i understood that i needed to increase the protein to make sure you know i i had the right building blocks for my muscles you know flash forward a couple of weeks later i'm walking the dog by myself and i actually You know, having consulted with my surgeon, I'm actually back to doing workouts. And the real shock for me, Stacey, was like, you know, they said, you know, use light weights. And, you know, I have this sort of like, you know, we've talked about it. I have this 10 exercise circuit that I do where I use 25s and 35s, which is like a CrossFit level. And I tried to do it with eight pound weights. And, you know, I was just as fatigued, if not more, from using these eight pound weights as I was when I used to use the 35s, which was shocking to me. And, you know, I used to be able to do, you know, 100 push-ups, no problem. Within the context of my workouts, I was struggling to do 10. And for me, like it was, you know, the psychological impact, I felt like I was starting over. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I was right back to where I was when I started exercising. So I think there's a huge psychological component to it.
3: I completely agree with that. How fantastic that you're back to lifting weights though. And really, I love the way that you started. There is nothing wrong with getting back to the gym and going through the exercises that you have the mental brain patterns for. So you're doing your routine. That is exactly what we would recommend, but you did everything right. And then you just take the weights way down. You could even go through your routine. Say if you were a person who generally lifted 10-pound weights, there is absolutely huge benefit from just doing the movement with no weight.
2: And some of those exercises, so for example, if I was doing lunges or squats with 25s or 35s, I just decided just to do the movements without the weights. Perfect. You know, like I didn't necessarily use the 8-pound weights. You yeah, know?
3: that's exactly what we want to do because we want to let our brain know, hey, look, we can still do these movements. We had a traumatic event, but now we're on our way back. We're on our way to recovery. And just by doing those movements, you're going to increase your blood flow, which speeds up your recovery. You're going to decrease your overall level of stress, which also speeds up your recovery. You're going to bring testosterone up, which, you know, we know helps build the muscles. You're going to take the stress hormones down. But just by doing the movements, not worrying about the weight at all, keeping it light, keeping it safe keeping it enjoyable. We never want to come post-surgery and do things that we think could potentially be too heavy or too stressful on our body. That is not the goal. Another important consideration is our lung capacity. And you'd mentioned, you know, it felt like you were struggling to do some of the cardio things. When we're put under general anesthetic, what happens is those drugs fill up our whole lungs. And many times after the fact, when we're breathing, we're just breathing in the top aspect of our lungs. So the only time we get down to the bottom area of our lungs when we're, you know, living our everyday lives is when we're really breathing hard. You will find after a major surgery where you've been under general anesthetic, it could even be a month later when you get down to those lower levels of your lungs you're going to be reminded of some of that general anesthetic that was in your lungs. And it sometimes can make you feel nauseous. It can make you feel tired. It can make you feel like you don't have the air that you need to do the exercises that you used to be able to do. It's very important when you feel that to not panic. Don't worry about it. Just take it down a notch. Keep doing the movements and know that the next time it's going to feel better just by kind of working at a little bit lower level so that you're not you know feeling that capacity too soon too fast it can take up to a month to get that feeling back to normal
2: that was exactly my experience thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your expertise
3: it's been my pleasure i'm thrilled that you are on your way to recovery
2: we have to take a short break but when we return we'll discuss getting to know your penis on the tonic For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com.
1: Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson.
2: Michelle Fischler is a certified sex therapist and the host of the Get Some podcast. Her vision is to inspire people to own who they are as sexual beings one conversation at a time, causing sexual transformation across cultures, belief systems, and lifestyles. You can find her at michellefishler.ca or follow her on Instagram at some underscore podcast. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. How are you doing?
4: Hi, great. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie.
2: So today we're going to talk about something that we've never talked about on the show before since 2017. And that is becoming friends with your penis. And I'm very interested to know what that's all about. How have men been lied to about the normal functioning of their penis?
4: Well, this is actually something that... Barry McCarthy, who's a prominent psychologist and sex therapist in the field, says all the time. He's basically saying, if you grew up with a penis, chances are that before the age of 35, your erections were pretty predictable and desire was pretty spontaneous, and nobody told you that it would be any different, and then fast forward to your mid-30s, 40s, 50s, and you know, you're going about your business and maybe you're with a hot date or with your long-term partner. And then all of a sudden you have this failure to launch event, meaning your erection doesn't get hard enough for penetration. And you're like, what the heck is happening? And likely your partner is wondering the same thing because nobody told any of us that 90% of males between the ages of 35 and 55 will begin having this kind of event.
2: But isn't it kind of like tacitly understood that men have these issues, like, for example, with all the drugs that are out there that help them with this issue?
4: Well, I think we know that those drugs are there, but I think we use them because we think that what's happening to our body isn't normal and we panic. And instead of trying to sort out what's happening or to try to have this conversation with a partner, we will go directly to the medication route.
2: Okay. So what is a sensitizing moment?
4: Well, earlier when I was talking about that event where your erection isn't firm enough for intercourse or penetration. This event is usually going to predict moving forward that you will have these occurrences on a, you know, more regular basis. So you're unlikely to return to totally predictable autonomous erections and you can either start changing how you think about sex because especially the majority of men prefer to transition to intercourse on their first erection and build a more flexible and expand your repertoire of what sex becomes moving forward or you can become extremely distracted and obsessed with the state of your penis and you'll like try to will the erection and stimulate a flaccid penis and beat yourself up and possibly blame your partner or maybe you just avoid sex altogether to avoid this discomfort.
2: Okay, so I heard of something called erectile dysfunction. I think we all kind of understand that phrase. Yeah. But there's another concept called erectile disappointment. Can you kind of explain the difference between the two?
4: Yeah, so the sensitizing events that we just talked about or moments That would not be considered erectile dysfunction. That would actually be considered normal. Erectile dysfunction is a medical condition that can be related to things like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, neurological issues, surgery, and also medication side effects. And the majority of erectile problems, especially if you're under the age of 50, are caused by psychological or relational factors, not medical or physiological problems. That being said, it's super important to consult with your family doctor, sexual medicine doctor, maybe a urologist, just to make sure there's none of these medical problems at play.
2: So is dysfunction a physical situation when you were mentioning sort of the psychological impact? Yeah. Can the psychological impact be or contribute to erectile dysfunction or is that more erectile disappointment? Well,
4: erectile disappointment is more around when your penis isn't working the way that you want it to and maybe you're in a bit of denial about it. Maybe you're grieving the loss of your spontaneous desire and autonomous erections it can start to turn into an erectile dysfunction from an anxiety perspective, like how you start to think about it when you start to obsess about it and you become extremely in your head and you are starting to feel really anxious. Once you're in that place in your mind – it can start to block your ability to have your body respond to touch and respond to connection and intimacy and pleasure because you're, you're focusing more on the state of your penis. And so yeah. People who have erectile dysfunction can also have, sometimes often will have an anxiety disorder, so a general anxiety disorder or something to that effect.
2: Okay, so let's assume that somebody's experiencing erectile disappointment. Yeah. How do you deal with that with your partner? Like, How do you communicate that?
4: Yeah, I think that communicating about sex in general is pretty terrifying for people, even if you've known the person for many, many years, because there's so much meaning tied to their masculinity in their penis and this is completely interpretation versus fact and it's not anybody's fault we all drank the Kool-Aid that hardness was this true test of attraction of being turned on and so it's really about sitting down with a partner outside the sexual experience so way before or way after and starting to talk about some of the anxiety or worry that you're having about your body changing and that erections aren't necessarily going to always be part of the sexual connection and being able to reassure that this has nothing to do with attraction and that it's very much a part of getting older across the lifespan and sometimes these conversations can be helped by books for example like there's a book called coping with erectile dysfunction that is excellent and it's by the same person i talked about barry mccarthy and there's great apps like coral that can help you facilitate those conversations with your partner in a really supportive
2: way. When you speak of support, are there other resources or where would you recommend somebody going for support if if you're having distress about your penis?
4: Yeah, so when people come to me because they're having some kind of erectile dysfunction, I will always tell them to go make a medical appointment with your doctor, get a workup, make sure everything is okay from a medical perspective. So first would be go to your doctor, if everything's fine, you may decide at that point, okay, I want to read some literature on this. Or maybe you want to listen to some podcasts. And speaking of podcasts, we will have Barry McCarthy, who I'm just, I've been talking about here. He's going to be on to get some podcast. So there are podcasts out there that can also help you learn about this and also a great opportunity for you and your partner to listen together. And then if you're still really struggling with this, you can go on the best website which is the board of examiners in sex therapy and counseling in ontario and there's a whole bunch of clinicians there that are trained in this area
2: perfect we have time for one last question and maybe you could you know briefly just go over some of the medical and psychological treatment interventions that you know might be applied to a situation like this
4: yeah so obviously communicating with your partner Being able to say tonight's not going to be an intercourse night and going to your family doctor talking about oral medications like Viagra and Cialis and using this in combination with changing the kind of sex you and your partner have where a larger repertoire that's focused more on intimacy, pleasure and eroticism. I mean, if you're really hell-bent on getting an erection, there are penile injections, vacuum erection devices. Mindfulness, I would say, is one of the most important ways of helping you get out of your head and into your body, just to strengthen that balance between the mind-body connection. And practice on your own when you're masturbating. Get comfortable with just waxing and waning of your penis. It's very normal. And getting comfortable with having a soft erection and realizing that you can actually still ejaculate with a flaccid penis. It's just being able to unlearn the connection you have with ejaculation and a heart penis.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
4: You are so welcome. It was a pleasure being here.
2: We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss what it's like to care for someone with type 2 diabetes and heart condition on The Tonic. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state of the art ISO accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit newrootsherbal.com.
1: Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson.
2: According to the Heart and Stroke Foundation, people with diabetes are three times more likely to be impacted by heart disease. If you have prediabetes, diabetes, or cardiovascular risks, it is crucial to proactively manage your conditions and to ensure that you have proper support from both healthcare professionals and ideally a caregiver. Today, I'm speaking with Nancy Wadden, a professional fishing person from Cape Breton, no, Scotia. Nancy's father, Weldon, had an aortic aneurysm in his 50s and later heart failure and a valve replacement. He's also been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Nancy has been by her father's side throughout the highs and lows and knows the challenges and benefits of being a caregiver. Welcome to the show, Nancy. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you for having me.
2: So like many of our listeners, you have a demanding job and you're actively caring for your dad, and you've been managing both for 20 years, which is amazing. What's your journey been like?
0: Well, it's been filled with lots of ups and downs, that's for sure. There's been many tears shed along the way. I've learned to celebrate the small victories because each small one is a stepping stone to a better place, even though there are plenty of setbacks along the way. My dad just celebrated his 76th birthday, and there was lots of days where I didn't think he'd ever see the next birthday, let alone his 76th one.
2: Amazing, congratulations. What are some of the challenges you experience as a caregiver?
0: I think one of the biggest things that I've had to realize is there needs to be about five of me on any given day, and that's not possible. So I've learned to pick my battles. So what that my dad doesn't want to eat such and such today. Tomorrow, he'll probably eat it. He doesn't want to get washed right now because I want him to. Well, so what? Big deal. It's not the end of the world. He will get washed when he's ready to. I've come to realize it's all small stuff, and the bigger picture is his health and happiness. I try not to become overwhelmed, which can very easily happen. One of the biggest challenges facing us is our actual health care system and lack of outpatient availability. I'm scared to death of that situation right now at this any given time at this moment.
2: yeah, how do you deal with the stresses to you? Like your answer was sort of focusing on your dad, but like do you have support?
0: I have support I have myself <laughs> no, I have myself.
2: Wow. So how do you balance caring for your dad, managing your job, and and supporting your own physical and mental health? How do you do it?
0: Well, you know, it's a juggling act sometimes. Thankfully, I do have a very demanding job. When I'm in season, I mean, it's boots on the deck at all times, and there's just nothing around that. It's not a job where I can take a sick day. I have to go. So that can be very stressful at any given time, because especially if he's not in good health at the moment. Thankfully, he's been in good health for the last while. And, no, you just have to take some me time. I like to read. I like to walk. Fresh air does wonders for the soul try not to get stressed out. I used to get really worked up over things, really worked up. And now I've just come to the realization that I can only do so much and there's a lot of things are not in my power and I just have to accept them.
2: Are you doing any mindfulness? Do you meditate? Do you do yoga and stuff like that to sort of clear your mind?
0: No, I read. I love to read. Reading is my escape.
2: What advice or tips do you have for our listeners who could be impacted by type 2 diabetes and heart disease?
0: Just be informed. Be really informed. I have to admit that when this journey first started, when my dad was diagnosed with his aortic aneurysm, I had no idea that heart disease and type 2 diabetes often went hand in hand. And as his health worsened, as his heart health worsened, then the diabetes reared its head. We weren't prepared for it, actually. We, we were dealing with heart disease, and then all of a sudden, we were dealing with diabetes.
2: With your dad, is his condition, is his diabetes manageable through shots, or is it the type of thing where it's, it, it requires a lot more management, like he has to go into the hospital, et cetera?
0: No, he does very well. He's on oral medication and he's on a new oral medication which is diabetes pill and a pill for his heart and it's working really well it's doing wonders it's really managing his a1c and his daily sugar
1: levels
2: maybe for some context you could explain like what your dad is capable of is is he mobile is he you know is he engaged can you leave him alone for periods of time like like what's it like on a day-to-day basis
0: yeah I'm able to leave him alone he's able he gets out you know he has congestive heart failure and it's being regulated right now it's being his health is maintained at a very good level at the moment so he's out he goes for a drive every day and during lobster fishing season he comes to the wharf, and he's usually there when I get in to talk to me when he's good he's really good But when his health goes AWOL, then he's down and he's out and he usually ends up hospitalized. It gets out of hand very rapidly. So I have to keep a really close eye on his diet and make sure that he follows his medication regime because oftentimes he forgets to take his pills.
2: Have there been any resources or tools that have dramatically helped you and your dad along the way?
0: The Heart and Stroke Foundation has been a really that big asset. Diabetes Canada has really proven to give me a lot of information. And I'm a member of the caregiver's support community online, which is through the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada. And I really find it helpful because... Sometimes we forget that there's other people that are going through the same thing we are, and it helps to talk to people that are in the same kinds of situations.
2: Yeah, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, sometimes you just get so overwhelmed, and you've reached a wall, and you can't go any further, and then you read something, and it's like, oh my gosh, that person is in a worse situation than I am.
2: Do you find that the people in these groups are experiencing the same things you are, or are you learning different things from them as a result of these conversations?
0: I think it's, both you know it works both ways oftentimes i learn a lot from them and a lot of times somebody will pose a question it may be as simple as asking about a medication that their loved one is being started on that they have no knowledge of and i've dealt with it because my dad is on so many meds that i'm able to give them some insight into that medication
2: that makes sense you know, given your journey, is there one thing that you wish you knew 10 years ago that you know now as a result of this journey?
0: Don't be afraid to ask for help because there is a lot of support out there. And I don't have a large family. I'm the only child that's here. So I don't have that fallback of siblings to help me. So I felt that if I couldn't do it all, that I was really letting him down. But I've come to realize that it doesn't hurt to ask for help because there is help there available. Yeah. And by asking for that help, I'm not only helping him, but I'm also helping myself because if I'm down and out, then we've really got a problem.
2: For sure. Well, God bless you for doing what you're doing. And I'm I'm sure your dad is forever grateful for the care that you're giving him. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andrea Donsky, Dr. Stacy Irvine, DC, Michelle Fischler, and Nancy Wadden. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic Magazine. The March-April issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing
1: you a healthy and happy week.